this episode of our Tough as Nails recap for episode number five with Phil Kogan. Great sponsor for Tough as Nails. We are sponsored today by rockauto.com, new sponsor to the podcast. Of course, uh, lots of time spent at a quarry last night, so perfect to bring in rockauto.com. One reason that you want to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can then use for other important things like the mortgage or food. Unless you're friends with uh, Roofer Lee, he can just fix it for you, but for the rest of us, Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the same exact auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? Of course, that rockauto.com is going to have the parts there cheaper than are going to be at your dealership. Rockauto.com is a family business servicing auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control models and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few clicks delivered right to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. And after watching Tough as Nails, I can find an alternator like that. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Rob has a podcast in there, How Did You Hear About Us box, so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts you ever need, all at rockauto.com. Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Rob Sassuno back again to talk with you for our Tough as Nails recap episode number five. Uh, should be a, a fun one today. Of course, uh, we have uh, back with us this week, Jessica Lee. Uh, Jess, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Rob. I'm really happy to be back here uh, after spending a few days hanging out with my older relatives playing the Tough as Nails home game. Yes. So, well, part really of nice Tough as Nails is no days off, Jess, so that we've already violated Tough as Nails rule number one. I, I would say hanging out with my extended family is not a day off. Okay. All right. But you're back here with us on a Thursday. And so is uh, Mike Bloom. Happy to be here. Of the three of us, I definitely feel like I am the sand of the panel. I am coarse and I am everywhere. So I think it, that just makes sense. <laughs> Does that make uh, Jess? <laughs> I don't want to ask. Who's the pea gravel and who's the uh, rock <laughs> the gravel? rock gravel. Yeah. Who's more likely to fit into a giant sack rather than individually sealed bags? I'll let you have rock gravel, Jess. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'll take it. You got it. You're more of a music uh, aficionado uh, to be the rock gravel. Okay. And then, of course, uh, very excited to have back with here with us the host and creator of Tough as Nails. Here's the great Phil Kogan. Phil, how are you? I'm, I'm great. Uh, I just uh, got a request from my agent. They're wondering if they can put. Uh, that I'm a correspondent for your podcast. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, they want to put that on my resume. Um, and I just want to ask permission since it's your podcast and I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you may. You may. Okay. Permission permission granted. Is, is correspondent spelled key, K-E-O, respondent to sort of hype it up, <laughs> up with your name? Yeah, respondent. Smart. Yeah, I am that, yes. that person. 
And, and can I just say, uh, Rock Gravel, or Jess, as you're <laughs> or Jess, affectionately known as Rock Gravel, I just would like to say it's lovely to have you back. I, I, I mentioned that uh, with you gone, there was no Yang to go with <laughs> uh, we, we were lacking the Yang, and, and it's nice to have some Yang back. The boys need your Yang. Well, if that's work. what I, it, it's nice to know I'm bringing something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I tried to bring it last week, but I left a, there was a huge uh, gravel pit uh, hole left when you, uh, when you weren't there. So hopefully you'll be able to bring it. Okay. I will back my truck full of good ideas up to the site and we can seal it up in the bag that is this podcast. Wonderful. So we have a treat for you because oh, and I have, have treats for you, but okay, okay. Well, ahead. let's start because that we have a brand new opening theme song for oh. this podcast that we want to share with you. That was composed oh. by our great friend Will from America. He has worked out a new tough as nails uh, recap podcast theme song for you. Let me know what you think about this. Okay. So, what, what do you think? Well, it's catchy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm definitely flattered that there's someone who's gone to the to great lengths to uh, compose music about the show. Uh, could you just repeat the the, the the last few lyrics of the song? I missed them. Uh, what what was he saying? Coke is the alpha male. It sounds like he says, watch out, bus, because baby, we're tough as nails. I don't think that's the word, though. No, no. But uh, look, I'm very impressed. And, and thank you. What a wonderful treat. So is, is this how we're going to start our discussions every week with this with this new theme song? Is that the, the goal? I mean, typically, we'll probably we'll play it before the show starts. That, uh, I, so you don't have to listen to it every week. But we wanted to hear your reaction to the new song. Uh, I, I think it's wonderful. Anytime you're engaging anybody... Uh, you know, the ratings were good last night, which is a huge relief for anybody who is making a new show. Uh, we've we've been, uh, you know, this is a crazy time with television watching. But, uh, yes, anything that goes up is good. And uh, we're, we're we're doing well. So we're very excited that people are tuning in. And I mentioned to you last week that the honeymoon was over. And hopefully uh, that was evident last night. <laughs> yeah. That when you say the honeymoon is over, you mean that you feel like that you uh, feel like that the show really found its format in the episode last night? No, I meant more from the point of view that, uh, as we were talking about last time, on most reality shows there's, and, and, and any new relationship, there's always that sort of everybody going out of their way mm. to be nice. Oh, and the honey- make- yeah, for the players. Yes. Yeah, the, this it. is not Phil Kogan's best friends race anymore. It's truly tough as nails. The drama has been coming out. Yes. Right. Yes. And it got real. It got real last night. And uh, yeah, I mean, and you, you're going to see from here, the team competition just becomes more and more interesting uh, as as it's particularly uh, Savage Crew are trying to sort out the dynamics in their in their team, and yeah. uh, 
it's a challenge. You've got a bunch of A-type people who are really, really good at what they do. And they're trying to figure out who's in charge and who does what and who's leading. And, and that to me is the most interesting aspect of, of the whole series. And you'll, you'll see as the, as the series goes on, just how this manifests itself. And just the fact that there are only 12 contestants. So you really do get to know them. And um, there are great character arcs uh, for every character through the series. And, um, you know, yesterday we did casting for for season two. And of course we can't help ourselves, but ask the potential new cast, what do you think and how would you go and what do you like? And there were some really wonderful things that feedback that we got where the thing that everybody seems to be resonating with potential cast members is the unity and the team aspect and working together and getting the job done. And so uh, somebody said uh, that it was like the uh, working person's Olympics um, Mm. and it was reality unity, um, which they felt was very refreshing. And then this whole format thing uh, seems to be working where, where people have a moment or have an opportunity for redemption. They really love that idea that it's not, you know, yeah, you're out of the individual competition, but you're going to stay in what impact can you have now that you're just focused on your team? Well, yeah. at least we have some form of the Olympics this year. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 You're Got absolutely it. right. Uh, Bill, what I thought was uh, super interesting about the episode last night, and it was such a Tara spotlight uh, on the whole show because she was so involved with, uh, you know, er- every aspect of the competition last night. You know, uh, we've seen that we, the players that did not do well in the individual competition, it was a, sort of a storyline, okay, well, they're going to come into the team competition looking for that redemption. But I thought that last night's episode was, was very interesting because you had uh, Tara, who was very upset with not necessarily her performance, but how she was being perceived in the group aspect of the competition. And then she ended up going and having a, a lot to prove in the individual part of the competition based on how she was doing it. And I just, I I never thought that that would be so important to the players of what's going on in the group, as opposed to what's happening in the individual, because they're the prize money is, is bigger for the individual. Yeah, no, that's very perceptive of you. And I think um, what, what you, what, what happens is you get this great dynamic where, uh, yes, you're a part of, uh, uh, yes, you're out there competing in the individual competition, but then your team can't help but want to root for you in the individual. They want to see mm. you do well. And then as the competition gets closer and closer towards the end, will people, will people hold back and, and reserve some of their strength to do better in the individual because they just don't want to give it all up for their team because the gain, as you mentioned, is really in the individual. And so that's a dynamic that becomes very, very interesting. But, you know, we talked early on about the definition of what tough is. And you have to understand that we're not just picking people based on how they necessarily uh, perform in an individual challenge as much as what has it taken for that person to be, be there competing somebody like Tara, what the odds that she has beat out to be there on this, on tough as nails and to be competing against a Marine and to be competing against, you know, drywall Danny and to be competing against some very tough women. What has it taken? How tough has she been to be there in that moment? And, you know, this is an interesting conversation that takes place with us in production, which is this whole male female thing where a guy will 
just push people out of the way and say, hey, let me in there and let me let me shovel. Whereas a woman, the way women deal w- with each other is different. They're more polite to each other. They're more uh, they're more inclusive, I think. Um, and so you you saw that dynamic last night with with Tara, where she was kind of waiting to be invited to come in to like join because that's the type of person that she is. And the guys were oblivious to it, right? Like, because they're so used to a guy just like, hey, Murph, get out of the way. I'm coming in. You know, I'm going to sh- give me some room here. And so that part of it, I find, is really interesting. That, that the, the, the differences in the way that we deal with people, both as men and, and women, um, and our different personalities, um, leadership roles that Murph has talked about in the military and how, and how you do what you're told. And so I'm just, you know, that feedback that we're getting from the viewers about that aspect of it, I just love that they're picking up on those nuances. I'm intrigued, Phil, in terms of casting. I don't know if you asked the question of like who on season one is resonating with you, but of the people who are applying, has there been a trend as to, I don't know, fan favorites, at least among the people that are trying out for season two of people who caught with them? Yeah, definitely. Um, people, I think, inherently are are going for the person that they deem to be an underdog. So mm. they 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 love the underdogs. They love they love Lynette for the strength and resolve that she showed uh, from from episode one and then how she is now focused on the team. Um, they love they love uh, the fact that Lee and Michelle are killing it and they're older. So they're, the bias is that because they're older, uh, that somehow they're not going to do as well. There's a bias. I mentioned last week there's a bias towards the idea that because this is a woman, she's not going to have a better upper body strength than a man. And we're trying to, to address those th- that bias uh, because you can't just broad stroke and say, because someone is older, because they're a woman, because they're uh, shorter, because their background is this, that, or the other, that, that you can just make a broad stroke assumption, uh, which again comes down to um, the, what, it, what the definition of tough is. And, and so we're just trying to say, like I said to you early on, my mother is the toughest person I know, but she's 78 years old. But I see her tough because, not because of her physical strength, but because of her resilience and, and because of what she's been through in her life. And because I know that my mom would literally fall over before she ever gave up on anything. And that is, to me, the ultimate test of toughness. Like how far are you willing to go to get something done? It doesn't always have to be a measure of, you know, like an Olympic measurement about how high you jump or how fast you run, but much more looking at the mindset of people. So I, I think I think that's where our show, where Tough as Nails, is just exploring some of those differences and not being absolute in who's the fastest, who's the strongest. That you can't just in, in, on Tough as Nails, we're trying to say, well, hold on a second. Look at the bigger picture here. Where did they come from and how did they get to where they are and how do they do what they do and what challenges do they face doing what they do? I think the gender bias aspect of it is a really interesting thing. And I loved what you had to say last week about about this and about how you're trying to quantify different levels of toughness. Um, But I think it is interesting to note like how differently women are socialized like this. And I perceived the scene of Tara trying to get in there very differently. Like I, I did, I did think she was, you know, 
she was trying to get their attention to get in to do the work but i think they also she it did seem like the three men that were working were boxing her out yeah mm. i don't disagree i i, I, yeah. I agree with you I, and I guess, I guess that what i'm saying to you is that a guy instead of uh, uh, the way that a guy would respond to yeah. that is, in, is more aggressively so a guy would tend to go you're hey you know like just call it out for what it is and just say hey you make some room here for me you know Whereas her approach was much, she's much more inclusive. So she's, she's, she expects her teammates and rightly so to make room for her. That, that's an expectation that she has and they should have. Yeah, they definitely should have. And I think it's, it's gotta be something that she's run into on yeah. the job side as well. Right. Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah. I remember she is one of the people that talks specifically about like being one of the only women on her job certainly has her looked at a different way. She has to behave a certain way. I'm sure to get that attention, but yeah, I mean, as Rob said, this was a very Tara heavy episode. I didn't know how heavier it would get on Tara after last week, but like she was such a fulcrum at each and every part here. And the, the edit of the team challenge in particular was super interesting because, you know, I think having seen that clip of her in the car crying saying like, I don't feel like I'm valued in this mm-hmm. team. I sort of like reverse engineered that moment into, okay, assuming this is after the team challenge, what's going to happen that leads to that moment. And I think that you guys did a good job of like showing that story part, at least where like, you know, Lynn and Mur- or, you know, Tara would say something about, Oh, three people should stay behind. And Murph will say, Oh no, wait, Lynn, talking right now, or she'll make a suggestion. She'll tell Lewis turn over here. And he completely ignores her. So I think for that storyline in particular of Tara does not feel listened to by her team that was definitely verified and then led to a really interesting moment the next day when at least it seemed from my perspective, I don't know if this was uh, like out, like it out on the job site, but when it was young versus Tara, it seemed like the vocal support was much more in Tara's corner. And I'm not sure if that was legitimate rooting interest or more so because Savage crew knew how down she felt and like really wanted to, to cheer her on. I, I think it was the latter. I, I, I do think that. And, and what I will say is, you know, we're now halfway through tough as nails and one of the wonderful things about the show is watching Tara's journey from here. And mm-hmm. without giving too many spoiler alerts, what I will say to you is that there's huge development that takes place within, uh, uh, within a, a Savage crew in terms of accepting each other and their differences. You know, they're opening each other's eyes to 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 difference right when you're in the military you get used to working a certain way and young working in the fire department gets used to working a certain way when you throw people from all walks of life together there has to be some figuring out right like how do things work i guarantee you that you know from the beginning people looked at michelle and they made assumptions about who this woman was and what she could contribute and how she could contribute and they would have done the same thing with tara this beautiful woman who works in, oh, she's a woman who works in, you know, as a rod buster, but, you know, probably not as tough as a guy. Well, hold on a second. And that's part of, again, we get to watch that. And everybody on this show who goes out of the individual, I promise you, has some moment of redemption. And that's the most satisfying part of this whole series is to watch how she grows, how Tara grows from this, and then how others, if you heard what Murph was saying, I felt it was very important to let Tara know that I was there for her. Mm. And I thought that was a really poignant moment because he didn't, 
in the moment when they were shoveling, he was completely, uh, you know, the filter was, uh, you know, he, he was completely um, blind to what was happening with her in that moment because he was operating the way he would normally operate. But with reflection, he realized, wow, this really affected her. What can I do to change my behavior to be more inclusive and let her know that I am here to support her? And I thought that was a very powerful moment. That that team challenge, by the way, was the most difficult team challenge of all the edits that we did. It was spread out over a mile. Um, you know, you're tracking stories, you know, that are happening in the truck and they're getting in the truck and there's more story there and then back. And then it was a it was a tough one, but it was it was a very poignant uh, moment in the in this team competition through the through the series. And and uh, yeah, I'm hoping you guys will find it very interesting to see what happens from this point going forward. Well, that's something that I think is Again, it's such a great idea to keep people around after they're out of the individual competition, because if people were just going home, that would be everything we'd see from Tara. And I think it would feel like she got a very raw deal. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The beginning of that redemption arc is there, but we're going to get to see it play out. And I think I want to see her continue to compete and see how that dynamic evolves over time. What I really am hoping will happen, and you don't have to spoil me on this. I want to see Savage Crew get it together because they're so dysfunctional right now. Nobody works together. By the end, I want to see them like figuring out how they have to work around these personality differences and, in fact, dominating a couple of challenges. Yeah, they're they really a disaster. Like, they're the bad news bears right now, basically. And they, they had they have the same color, too, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the great thing, again, about the show is that there's time for there's time for that to evolve. There's time for them to get themselves together you know how that happens and how it manifests itself is is something else but um yes and that that to me is is the most interesting part of it and how sad would it be if we we didn't have tara left and we didn't have lee um because there's such you know how great was lee last night even in the the, uh, individual competition you know it's like this great character that's still there and so yes, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're picking up on that. And, um, you know, I want to pick up on something with regards to young because, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people who love to point fingers, uh, about how young is doing. Um, and I want to defend young and say this, um, again, going back to what the definition of tough is, it's not just about what's happening now on tough as nails, but it's also about that person's journey to be, on Tough as Nails. What what did it take for the son of an immigrant, Korean immigrant, to come to America to go into a job that his family didn't know anything about, that his family didn't necessarily agree with because they expected that he would go into a into university and become a lawyer or a doctor. That's what they wanted for him. What kind of strength did it take for him to do that? And and then to go into the fire department and also be the person that that looks like nobody else. There's not it's not like there's a lot of Korean firefighters out there in America. And and then to to go through all of that, like all of we don't know what that feels like to be the sole person doing one thing. I mean, some women definitely understand that in, in jobs where they're the minority. So to get through all of that and then to be this person who is 
who represents what it's like to actually really care about other people. He has that empathy for people because of what he's been through. That's what has facilitated that empathy part of his personality. That's why he wants to see young Korean kids to see him in a fireman's uniform in front of that fire truck and why he's helping open kids' eyes up to the idea that young Korean kids can go do that. And when he talks about the fact that you don't see people like him on TV and he never saw it when he was growing up, he that, that's that's so powerful to me that, that he is on our show and representing that. He ran after Lynnett, if you remember. He's the guy that is the supporting person. And 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 yes, he really steps up when there's over when it's really, really on the line. But I, I think again, it just speaks to the different colors of what tough as nails is. And so I think what people need to drill in on is instead of absolutes win or lose, it's also got to be looking at what it takes for somebody like Young to be doing what he's doing and then to be where he is now on this show. I think it's really interesting that um, I think the goals on this show, as far as what the contestants are getting out of it, is very, very different from every other reality show out there because the people are so real and you're really taking the time to get into who they are as people. And I think people are going to come into this experience and be actually transformed as opposed to, I think, a lot of reality television. They're coming in hoping to get like Instagram endorsements. And here there's none of that. It's really it's I thought it was also very interesting to watch these parallel scenes right before the overtime where you had Young having his one on one Mm -hmm. conversation, Tara having her one on one conversation. They're both saying almost the exact same thing. Like, I need to prove something to kids that are like me. Mm -hmm. And then to watch them go head to head is really interesting and powerful. And I think it adds to Young's appeal that he keeps going to the bottom and he keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah, for what it's worth, like as much as people might be decrying Young and his performances, he's kicking butt in the overtime. Lee calls him a wildcat. He gets his head in the game and he's able to yeah. prevail. This is uh, what Lee get- said about Young uh, in overtime. When he get behind, that's what he gets. He really go mad. <laughs> I just, every time I see Lee, I, I just smile. I laugh every time he says anything. But yeah, you, you know, I think just that's... That's his again, superpower when he gets behind. Yeah, exactly. But what you're saying, you Jess, let him is, win. is so important. You know, it's 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 important for us to be sharing uh, again the story that has some depth to it. You know, because everything in life is not black and white. I, I we love we we love to be able to put things in boxes. You know, win, lose, right, wrong. It's so easy in life to be able to do that. You know, they're bad, they're good, but life is complicated. Uh, it's not, it's not always just a simple right or wrong or faster or slower. There's all this other stuff. And so we're trying to delve into that other stuff. So, so the best thing you can have when you're doing, when you're casting a show and you get the people talking back and saying, and, and if you see these people, I mean, they're on job sites when they're calling in to, to audition for the show and they are telling us why they love our show, right? Because they're saying, we're seeing ourselves on TV, like real, like real working people for the first time. 
we know that these people love what they do and Lee's going to go back to put a roof on and Lynn is going to go back to welding. These people are not looking to get a contract or like you said, become Instagrammers or influencers. They love their jobs. Melissa's gone back to the farm. She's with her husband. She's waking up at four again and she's doing her job. They're proud of what they do. And we're trying to say we should all be, uh, we should all be acknowledging them. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that, that, that people are watching the show and they're seeing that. It's amazing. It flips every preconceived notion about reality TV on its head. The more you talk about this, the more radical it is, just because I think most shows lean into that. Like, this is the hero. This is the villain. This person is good. You want this person to win. This person is shaking it up. This person is bad. And you're saying that all of those tropes of this genre don't apply to this show. And you're, in fact, you're trying to kind of break them wide open. And I think that is, that is so cool. And it's, it's a big ask and it's a big order, but it's seems to be succeeding on a really, on a really powerful level. Yeah. We, it's, it's a risk, Jess, you know, it, it's a real risk to try to do something that doesn't, that, that doesn't go into the structure of how do we make this work? It's like, it's like making a dish and saying, well, what happens if we don't follow the recipe? What happens if we don't put the traditional, you know, quarter of a pound of butter and we don't put the, 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 the quarter of a cup of sugar? What happens if we just try to like freelance this and go into the pantry and pull out things that we wouldn't normally work with and see what we can make with this? And so you're taking a risk because you can't tell until you put that freelance dish together, whether it's actually going to taste any good or whether people are going to say, yeah, I want some more or, oh, that's horrible. Please give me my standard, you know, meat, vegetables and potatoes. Um, but yeah, you're right, because we're not starting with, well, we have to have a villain and we have to have this. We're saying, let's let's roll a dice on this. Let's pick people that represent uh, variety. So we really get a really interesting mix. And then let's see what happens. And what I will tell you is that the end of all of this the, and, and since the shooting of the show, the cast are tight. And when I say tight, tight as nails, tight, <laughs> they, you hit the nail on the head. They are, they're tight. They're like, like Linda has photos of her team up on her mantelpiece like almost like a little shrine, you know, like they talk to each other on the phone. They're, they're connected because these unlikely characters came together. They were part of something that was really special. And the, the greatest thing for us as storytellers is to know that we got them, we hope to an even better place than they were when they came in. They learned something about themselves. They went on a great journey. None of them went home empty handed. And they will talk about this experience like it's a wonderful experience. Well, that's kind of satisfying. You know, we get that on Amazing Race. People say, hey, I didn't win the million, but we we got this amazing trip around the world. There's something nice about knowing that you're not just taking from people, you're actually giving. And there are a lot of shows, reality shows, that that have to take and don't give back in order to create the content that they want because they're going to humiliate that person where they're going to embarrass that person and that person is going to come out in a worse place than they were when they came in high expectations coming in and then they spit them out the other end but they go 
yeah, but we made some great entertainment, didn't we? I mean, this, we humiliated this part. I, I'm not judging it. I'm only saying it is nice as a storyteller to feel that you don't have to do that and that people feel good about having come on the show. It's a nice feeling. <laughs> So, I thought it was really interesting in the episode also. Uh, we talked about those two conversations that were had right before the overtime, the one between uh, Young and yeah. uh, Luis and, and the one that uh, Tara was having about how they were feeling. And I thought that that was just so organic that it was the contestants yeah. talking to each other. And, and I thought that there was also another uh, really interesting moment in the episode where when Savage Crew was was really, uh, you know, uh, down and like they, they were like sort of like talking it through and you joined them it, it all seemed uh like very casual uh that you were right. just like uh you know being able to have those types of uh conversations i, I just thought that, that that was all uh seemed very real in terms of like what, what we were getting about how people were feeling and it didn't seem forced uh in any way i thought that was a really uh, fun way to get to know everybody well it's really nice to hear you say that because we we literally let things fall out and then and, and I think that's why the team that that I'm working with are so good at what they do, because um, I've been working with Scott Shelley, the DP. I think I told you, Louise and I, my wife and producing partner, we've been working with him for 28 years. And we have kind of a um, and a lot of shows that I've worked on with Scott, you know, to over 100 countries with him. We have a we, we, it's like ballet the way that we shoot. Um, uh, I did an interview with Peter Jackson once and, and there was one other camera operator and we never talked production the whole time we were, we, we walked and talked for an hour and a half with Peter Jackson in a warehouse. And these guys, I can just look at them. I, I literally can just look at them and know and let them know I'm going here and they know to move there. And then they put stuff in the foreground and then they lead Peter, you know, to the door and all of that. These guys are so good at what they do. There's a, there's, there's an unwritten, um, it's like ballet. It's like it's choreographed, but it's freelancing. So we don't talk, oh, the camera's rolling. We don't talk, the camera stopped rolling. We don't talk anything. The, the idea is that it's so seamless. And the best compliment I can get when I'm talking to people is they go, oh, are we rolling? Like, I didn't realize, are we rolling? Because you never want that moment where someone goes, oh, we're rolling. Oh, um, yes, uh, you don't want that. So that all that fallout... And that's that all just we just followed the conversation. It just happened. And then we were like, oh, shit. boom. And they're in and they can hear and they're listening. And the audio guys, the audio guy just looks at us, goes, you know, we're rolling. Get this, get so this. then so then what prompted the decision for you to ultimately walk over there and decide to moderate, not moderate, but I think sort of like take a peek in on the conversation and see the direction it was going? Yeah, I, I tried it, you know, season one. Um, I, I thought, let me di- let me let me dip into the conversation here. There was a good chance that that wasn't going to make the cut. But I wanted to get in because I wanted to say to them, uh, I, I felt like they were getting to a very dark place. Like it was getting mm. to a point where we might as well just throw our hands up in the air and there's nowhere to come out of this. And I just wanted to make them think, prompt them to think by saying, you guys – you guys need to listen to each other. You guys can be better. You have been better. Like, just think about that for before you throw the talent and give up on each other. Just think about the fact that you won that first challenge. That you have had your stuff together before. That you do have the ingredients to make this work. Like, don't throw it in just yet, guys. You know, figure this out. Go figure it out. So, uh, you know, in the in the original cut, in the rough cut. 
we had it in and I wasn't really sure whether it looked to your point, I was worried that maybe it looked staged. I didn't want it to look staged. Oh, by the way, fun a guy last night uh, on Twitter, I'm following Twitter, and the guy goes, uh, I'm watching Tough as Nails. I'm convinced the show's rigged. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote back to him and I said, rigged, question mark. Uh, could you tell me how we do that? Question mark, like I'm interested. And I am because I'm thinking, really? You yeah. think I'm going to rig something with a Marine like Murph? Like, you know, that guy yeah. looking yeah. Phil, actually, I, I think that the guy was making a prediction that next week's task is going to be on, out on an oil rig, maybe. Mm. But that's, <laughs> and, I think, and I think they are wearing uh, harnesses when they go up on the line next week, right? So he's saying, uh, like, oh, they're mm-hmm. getting rigged up, and that's I what they're doing next sure, week. Sure, that's what he meant. Yeah, that's what he meant. Anyway, I thought it was funny. But, yeah, so I went in, and I'm glad you guys think it felt organic because, yeah, uh, we again, none of this was discussed, and that's how good these guys are, and that's the kind of – ability that I have to be able to work with these people, which is, you know, it's not like, oh, you go over here to get the reverse on me and then you're getting the wide and then you're getting the close-ups. We all know, like, who's shooting what. It's all done before we have it in our head so we can fall and move. And the guys, the way that they, their whole language between them, not just between me and the camera operator, because off camera, I know that on a reverse on me, I can, I can just look at the camera operator and I can go, you know, like, you know, get over there, over there, because I'm going to move and he'll go, he'll get it and then he'll move or, or she, because we have uh, female camera operators as well. But, you know, we just know it's just an unwritten thing, but it doesn't interrupt the flow of the conversation. That's where stuff gets tilted when people try to set up reality moments because reality doesn't happen like that. It just mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had a related question about that actually, because I'm very interested in the scene that takes place afterwards in the van where they are driving back from the challenge. Yes. And I know that for lighting reasons, you typically tend to film these challenges kind of late afternoon. So you get that golden hour light, but it seemed like they're in the van in full daylight. The conversation is going on and then all of a sudden it switches and they're in full darkness. Yes. So I was curious about how long they were actually in that van. Yeah, no, it's a very good question, and, and it's and it's a continuity issue that we run into sometimes where you're you've got a drive that's anywhere from twenty minutes to an hour and fifteen. So we we were shooting uh, in in January February when it gets dark really fast, mm. and and it gets dark uh, like we were really pushing sometimes, and you'll see in later challenges where it's getting really dark for the OTFs that we would do after a challenge, and then getting into the van. They're in pitch black in the van. Mm. So there what happened was the the conversation started and there was light. And then then there was a lot of silence because we're not prompting them to like, hey, uh, why don't you have a full on, you know, meltdown here as a team? We leave them alone. I mean, that, that van ride, there's no production in that van with them. That's, yeah, that, that's an interesting choice as well. So are they instructed to navigate their own way back to no, where they're staying? No. So we have a lead vehicle with producers who are listening. We have a tail vehicle to make sure that everybody stays together. Yeah. Um, and we lead them to the location and we lead them back. And then the producers are listening. One producer is listening to each van and they're left alone. Uh, we, we set the cameras up. We roll the cameras. We have a uh, an audio. I mean, you have to admit, 
the 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 audio guys have done a ma- they did an incredible job. I don't know if you're listening to the quality of the audio, but we had a, yeah, a audio team of only three people. We are like the leanest reality show, I can tell you. <laughs> but this guy Jim Ursulak that I've been working with since uh, 1995, he is literally the best. He's worked on everything from Eco Challenge, Survivor, Amazing Race. But I worked with him before Amazing Race on Discovery Projects. He's just the best. And um, anyway it was very important that there was no production and that they had their own space in that van and that would facilitate an open and free conversation, Mm. but we didn't want to miss anything. And to your point, Jess, what happened was the, the, they, they started that conversation, that uncomfortable conversation. And then there was silence and there wasn't a lot happening. And it was kind of like, you know, Tara just getting more and more upset. And then suddenly by the time, uh, Murph prompted the conversation to continue. It was dark outside and, you know, 20, 25 minutes maybe had passed with kind of nothing, you know, like just, you know, and so when you compress all of that, suddenly you've got this situation where you've got like daylight and, and night going into like, you squeeze all of that out and then suddenly that's what happens sometimes. That's and, my years of amazing race watching. And, and, like, this person checked on the mat and look at their shadows and look at the shadows of the people that checked in next. Yes. Yeah, the continuity of it all. The, the, and the team's attitude, in my opinion, I think makes total sense uh, because I think if I'm in the, the mentality of Savage Crew, those first two losses, I could be like, well, Lee knows cars like the back of his hand yep. and Melissa works on a farm. So we were the underdogs to begin with. And I think the pain of this episode for them is that they were in the lead for yeah. the vast majority of the challenge because of, uh, I guess, some Danny math gone wrong for a hot second. Mm-hmm. And it's just due to their own uh, communication ineptitude, for lack of speaking, that Dirty Hands is able to just pull in and completely lap them at the last second. And so it's it has to be extremely frustrating because that's the time when they thought they had it in their hands and due to their own mistakes not the necessarily the accolades of the other team that's why they lost well i i think it also speaks to the incredible leadership of cali who who clearly got that the pea gravel in the one sack made this made the most sense to end with right so you're exhausted putting one ton of sand into small bags and one ton of rock gravel into small bags and then you leave yourself with the easiest uh, aggregate to collect, which is the pea gravel into one bag at the end by the time you're exhausted. So that was a really, to me, that was a, that was a game changing move on her behalf. She really planned that out. Now her team messed up with the amount of sand that they needed, which was a big mistake, which is when Savage Crew um, went ahead. But Callie, I mean, you can tell that that woman, no nonsense. You can tell that she's just a fantastic leader and she, she she got that all worked out. She figured out all. You remember when she said, "I figured there's going to be a lot of time." Yeah. You want to be doing all of that early on while you're fresh, not at the other end when you're racing and panicking. And that's kind of what happened with with. And sand was the most difficult. She started with the most difficult. And then if you look at where the aggregates were, the pea gravel was closest, the sand was second closest, and the rock gravel was third. Why would you start with the rock gravel? Because now you're leaving two people in a warehouse. Do, twiddling their thumbs while I drive to the furthest point to get the furthest aggregate, which means that these two people back in the warehouse are idle. You want to go to the closest aggregate, bring mm. it back so that there's this a limited amount of time that that person is waiting for an aggregate to work on. Right. So that's where that's where um, 
uh, th that's where Dirty Hands really got it, you know, figured it out. And she didn't want to do the, the pea gravel because she wanted to leave that for the end. So, yes, I thought it was very, very interesting. And then Danny made an interesting point about the sand. You know, the thing with the sand is you got to clean out all the sand, whereas if it was the last one, you wouldn't have to be as thorough to clean out the back of the truck. Mm -hmm. It's pretty mm -hmm. smart. And this is where the nuances of how you do a job, how you plan for a job, that to me is where it becomes really interesting. The best part of the show is how people take their experience from their own career path and things that they do and apply them to situations that they've never been in before. And it's something I know, like the prototype for that is obviously things like Survivor and Amazing Race, but this is a more one-to-one -one thing. And Absolutely. It's, it's much more tangible here. And yeah. I really... I really loved that. I actually, I was having a conversation with my uncle over the weekend who used to lead mule teams into Glacier National Park. And he talked wow. about how he applied all of his experience there to his second job of building his ranch and how everything that he did kind of followed from experience that he had gained from a another like related or unrelated task. And I told him, you got to be watching the show because, you know, 20 years ago, you would have been on it. Yep. And, and, and I, and I love that you've picked up on that. And what, that was one of the great things about yesterday with the, with the casting, there was, there's one woman who had done all kinds of jobs. She worked on every kind of job you could imagine. And then she just casually goes, yeah. So, um, I had sort of some downtime with work. So I decided to just build a house. And I went, whoa, 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 back. Whoa. Up a second. She said, she said, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I'd done some electrical work, some plumbing work. I'd done some carpentry. I poured concrete. I'd worked on roofs and she built her house. And like, I just, I just thought she says that so casually, like yeah. imagine if any of us were like, Mike goes, Hey guys, uh, you know, I just want to start this podcast by saying I'm building a house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'd have enough time to build a gingerbread house, let alone like an actual facility to live in. <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm curious about the, the, the overtime challenge was so interesting to me because I do feel like the first few were, I don't know. They felt more like a slice of life thing. I mean, you know, yeah. pump the hand card and, uh, you know, strip the tire and everything. And this one felt a little, a little bit different. And I, I thought it was really interesting, the whole, you know, filling up the perpetually draining hourglass. What was the thinking behind that? So the, 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 the thinking, this, the thesis of that really is the idea that the overtime is in a confined space. So what I the briefing I gave the art department was imagine we're com we're bringing everybody into the cage, everybody's coming into the ring. So it's kind of like in um, uh, in Vegas when they have a boxing match and 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 the contestants walk out from underneath the bleachers and they come towards the 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 the, the, uh, the boxing ring, and everybody is crowded around watching. So everything you know you're looking at the team challenge with the sand factory. It's massive. It's big. It's this mm -hmm. big thing. And then we go. And so the idea is that it brings the intensity into a small space. It's meant to feel claustrophobic and small and, and a little tense. Um, that was, you know, big picture, kind of what we were looking at. And then I also said to the guys, this is the one time that we can be a little gamier than we are in the individual and the team challenges. The individual and team challenges, we want to be authentic you know, people look at it and go, oh, that's a job that people do. Whereas the, the overtime is like we have a little license to um, to make it a little gamey. So this one was more gamey. 
again, season one, you want to try some things to see how people respond. Like, does that turn them off? Do they go, hmm, I don't like it because it feels more like a game reality show. And then you go, okay, we won't do that again next season. Or do you try it and then people say, yeah, it's kind of interesting to break it up and make it, you know, bring that aspect in. So what what did you guys think? What what was your opinion of it? I mean, I personally loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I th- the, the cool thing for me about it was that it felt like almost a challenge of endurance, which I know that a lot of these challenges do. Like, I feel like the concrete breaking was certainly a test of endurance in a way. But this one truly felt like it was less so who finished a task first and more so just like, Who's going to keep that momentum going to keep the sand in the hourglass? And I thought that was such a different take on even the first three challenges that we've seen so far. And it demonstrates that, like, I think variance in these challenges is also great. I think while it might be weird, like you said, and a bit off-putting at first, I think it's great to throw that in there because you also want to throw the contestants off as well. If they get like, okay, we have to fill up this hourglass first, that means something different than I just need to make sure that thing doesn't keep depleting, especially compared to somebody else. And for the second week in a row, I feel like you had a super close challenge as well. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you picked up on that. And it's good to hear. I mean, this again, this is all great feedback to be able to take into a season two. Um, and I, I've mentioned to you before, I, you know, I admire how deeply you guys get into analyzing things. No, but it's very helpful because, OK, so, you know, sometimes you can be literal and you can say, how do we create the Lucille Ball, you know, putting the chocolates in the <laughs> box you know, scenario, mm-hmm. which which is a work scenario that I'm sure a lot of people work with every day where that, you know, like they're sorting out, it could be recycling, right? We, yeah. we might have a challenge with recycling and you've got to keep up with sorting out everything, but the belt just keeps going at a, at the same speed, but that you maybe go, okay, well, we can take some license with this and turn it into is it, this is an application for something that you might face in a real job where you've got to try to keep up and beat out your competition. So I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's good to, again, season one, you want to try some things and, you know, there's different, you know, I think in hindsight, the, the factory challenge with the aggregate, uh, I would, I would probably not want to make it as complicated. I think it was a hard thing to track initially with, uh, I mentioned to you that I spent more time working on that than I did on any other challenge again, because there is something wonderful about the, and, and, and if you notice, see episode three, put the car in the box, go find me an alternator. Very simple. Mm-hmm. And so then in, in this episode, it was like, okay, let's try something a little more complicated. Season one, one ton of gravel, one rock gravel, one ton of pea gravel, one ton of sand, three different bags. Should we have put them all in the same bags? Should it have been, you know, it, just to make it simpler so that you're not having to spend time explaining to the audience. Do, do you lose the audience if you get too much into nuance or do the, do people prefer, prefer the simple, put the car in the box? I mean, mm. not that every job is that simple, but you know, we went, that's about as complicated as we went. And again, season one, let's try it. Let's see if it's too much or whether it works. I would say that uh, what I liked about the challenge last night, which I, I think was uh, w- one of the best for me, was that I felt like that, you know, 
I I don't know anything about uh, construction, but I think even watching is like, oh no no no, oh you want to get go get the sand first. That's what you want to do. So I feel like right. that there's like a strategic element to it mm. in terms of uh, where like taking the car apart. Uh, you know, I don't know from anything, but I feel like that I could still like envision like, oh wait, was this the right decision to go? Should they have gotten the the big stuff first or save the big stuff for yeah. the end? I think that that stuff is. Uh, I I don't think it was too complicated. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think. It's that fine line, right? And 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 uh, and and we wanted them. We wanted to force them. We wanted those variables. We wanted to force them to think this out. You have three mm. aggregates, three different bags, in three different locations. Where do you go first? How do you do it? Who do you leave behind? Who do you go? For, who goes forward? Who's driving? <laughs> Lewis getting lost. You know, it's like uh, it's it's like uh, yeah. That, that that when you get those variables. Excuse me. When you get those variables, then you then you're actually able to to you know you, you have the passing opportunities and the fact that Savage Group got ahead of Dirty Hands left them panicking. They were panicking. Uh, the, the Amazing Race fan of me was waiting, Phil, for those moments when Savage Crew drove past like the pea gravel, and then the camera focuses it on the pea gravel sign <laughs> to show that they passed it. I think I think there was a little bit of a moment like that. Or, uh, wasn't there? I think we had a cutaway of the rock gravel when they were going past the pea gravel, and they were like, "No, no, no!" It's Tara's like, "No, that's the other way." And Murph just so you know, like, uh, "Yeah, no, that's not where we're going to first, you know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it, I can't believe it took me until five episodes, and we're just to go back to uh, the van. Uh, but uh, when I noticed, like, is Murph driving the van? Uh, that I, I love that they have to drive themselves uh, back and forth to the job site. That I feel like that uh, it's almost like they, you know they show up in their team van. Uh, I feel like it, it, that's very fun. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, there's no production in those those vans. It, it's all remote. Like the mystery and machine. Off. What's that? It's like or the, the A-team. Yeah, like the A-team. That's another good one. Yeah, yes. that's what the teams are. It's the mystery machine versus the A-team, right? <laughs> how, many, how many of your listeners are going to know what the A-team is? I think, is that oh, a-, a movie came out like 10 years ago about it, you yeah. know. Is the movie any good? I can't remember. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we're all dating ourselves here. Yeah. Uh, but Mike said something a little while back that piqued my curiosity and if you are not allowed to tell us that's fine but i'm really curious uh about the timeline on this because it seemed clear that the team challenge was filmed on one day and then the next day they came back to the site and they did the individual challenge and then how much time passes between the individual challenge and overtime uh there's basically a lunch break in between Mm. so um so on day one we we shoot the team challenge and then the afternoon we do interviews um, and we do a bunch of B-roll and, you know, cause there's a lot of insert shots and things that need to be done. We're very lean. So we don't have the same kind of uh, camera coverage that a lot of other shows have in terms of just resources. So we have to go back and make sure we get certain detailed shots. Um, and hopefully you agree that that sand factory challenge had some pretty amazing cinematography yeah like close-ups of the sand grains and all that stuff um and then uh so that's that day day and then the next day we set up to do the individual um and then we break for lunch and then after lunch we do the overtime and there's less time for breakdown interviews on that second day uh because again the sun is going down we got to get them home 
I, I could also imagine you mentioned before filming in January and February. Was the weather did that affect anything with rest? So I saw this episode, yeah, you, especially <laughs> I, I can imagine, I guess, you know, you're you're further away. You're sort of like in this valley of sand as it was. And so it did seem like this particular episode was pretty chilly. We were feeling was, that at least. It was cold. It was freezing. I mean, it couldn't have been much more than freezing on those early mornings. You know, we're starting super early, 530 in the morning. We get out and get get everything set up and we've got a lot, a lot to do. Um, and some of the drives, even in the morning with no traffic on the road, were still, you know, hour long drives. Um, mm. Everything was within a 30 mile radius of, of, uh, of uh, Burbank or in um, what they call the, there's, there's sort of like a 30 mile zone, which in LA for shooting. TMZ. The yes. TMZ, yeah. 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 And that 30 mile zone was, um, was, you know, something that we just wanted to make sure that we gave ourselves enough time to be able to shoot because um, it is a union show, our show shooting in LA. So you're restricted with the number of shooting hours, not like race where you're just shooting 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be very good with time management. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, we were really surprised at how cold it was, but the great thing was apart from one day where we got some sprinkling of rain, we had perfect skies, like every single nice. day. Mm-hmm. So we're very lucky because there's nothing worse than trying to keep electronics going in the rain. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very difficult. Yeah. I know it was called, but you guys had those jackets too. Uh, the, I, I, what a commercial for those jackets. Yeah. Yeah. Carhartt came on board um, early on and uh, that was huge because they really are the best as far as like working clothes people that's what they wear all of them you know that's the stuff they wear i want to get one now oh yeah tough as nails jacket it I, might, I, it I might, it might it. make the brand less tough though <laughs> just don't yeah, model don't it wanna, rob i know you have experience with modeling but not yeah. you don't not want us there. wearing those yeah I'll, I'll, send you a, great. I'll send you a worn out version okay oh, okay then people <laughs> it will look like i've done i've done something do you have anything else for me? Uh, let's see. Um, any, any other questions for Phil? Uh, I guess I would. I would love to. We didn't talk too much about the individual challenge, which I do. You know, you said it being a pretty simple challenge of just breaking up the concrete. I'll. I'll admit. You know, uh, I came in being like, well, this is another you know upper body favored challenge. But I think you brought up some great points about how maybe someone like Young, who is just sort of going aggro on it was different than somebody like Callie, who was much more strategic about, you know, breaking off the edges and essentially working her way inward. So it was much like the challenges that Rob has talked about, surprisingly strategic in its nature, much like all the challenges we've experienced so far. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, again, the job, you could make the assumption that if you take concrete and you take a hammer and you lined up a bunch of people, you would make an assumption about, who was going to do better than who based on how they looked. You judge a book by its cover. And what we're trying to say is with old jobs, uh, how, where do you hit the concrete? How do you hit the concrete? How big a piece do you try to break off at one time? Um, do you load everything in the wheelbarrow, bring it over to the gauge, put it through the gauge? Do you put the wheelbarrow on the other side of the gauge so that, um, th- that everything falls into the wheelbarrow and then use that to dump it across? Like, again, planning out the job, and Callie is obviously very good at that, is, is crucial. And I guarantee you there were people watching last night 
who thought that a 62-year-old gate agent from Cincinnati with a sledgehammer and a slab of concrete against a firefighter and a rodbuster and a drywaller and a, and, and, and a Marine would lose. And they were wrong. <laughs> and, and, and again, why? Because, well, Michelle is surprising. And uh, she proved, again, that what she doesn't necessarily have in upper body strength compared to, say, Lewis, she has in terms of life skills. So she can bring those life skills to any job she does. And so, again, you can never get it's never always going to be like, you know, you get every single thing right. But we are trying to say this is not absolute. This, again, is not the high jump at the Olympics where it's no who jumps the highest, period. That's it. That's the only measurement that matters. No, this is more about the nuances of getting a job done. Uh, Phil, one of our listeners, uh, Nick Fishman, wanted to know if you had a backstory of the cul-de-sac that was destroyed uh, with the with the street signs. Was, was there any particular reason that uh, that that part of the backstory was added in? I uh, just, yeah. I mean, what happened was the um, that was the that was the end of a, of a development that was up on that hill that had been graded out, so there was some leftover stuff. But, you know, we, we took a little creative license where exactly where those slabs of concrete were. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, this is Hollywood, Rob. You know, you've got to yeah. yeah. a little Hollywood. No, I just, I just wanted to know if there was a uh, like a uh, like an origin or a backstory of uh, like why why that particular uh, the, what the street signs were what they were. Yeah. So the the um, the the concrete slab thing, I actually that was a job that I had once and it was literally at the. Uh, on, a, on a street that was now being turned into some farmland and I, I had to get rid of a garage and it was, but it, the difference was it, it was reinforced concrete um, for a garage and it was a nightmare. It destroyed my hands. I mean, I, I, I had like just raw hands after the, I finished it because not only was I breaking up the concrete, which was much thicker, I had the rebar inside the concrete. So you ah. had to break out the concrete from the rebar and then we had to unclip all the rebar and pull that out. It was so it was it was based on that. But you know, it's a legitimate job that happens once you when you move do when you do house removal before you guys build your houses, which I know you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you might have to. You know, there's always a, a slab of concrete left behind in some house. You know. Okay. Uh, a- anything else for for Phil? Phil, uh, set us up for next week. You said it's the toughest challenge yet. You previewed to the contestants as they were walking away. Anything you want to give us as we move into the second half? Challenging. I said it was the most powerful. Didn't I'm I? Powerful. Almost. Oh, that makes sense. Considering it looks like we're going, uh, we're going up some some poles, and it looks like me yeah. rolling some barrels too. Yeah. So things that fuel America. Um, so yes, it's it's uh, you know can. Can Savage Crew get their team dynamics together and be more effective against a very slick-looking, dirty-hands team who are on a bit of a roll right now um, with their wins? What have they won? Three, four, and five, right? Mm -hmm. So what is it, Mm -hmm. 3-1? So can they get it together? Can they... Can they find a way with the resources that they have to be a better team 
and get a score back against Dirty Hands, who are right now running away with the team challenge. Um, and then in the individual, um, you know, who's who's going out next? Um, I'm, I'm sure. And, and will, will Young be able to stay out of overtime? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you again for joining us. This is such a treat for us and the listeners mm-hmm. every week to uh, get to hear the, the backstory on all of this uh, great uh, Tough as Nails uh, stories. Well, thank you. And before I leave, I, I, I want to do what I'm going to be calling um, Kiwi Word of the Week. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I have to put my glasses on uh, to be able to just, I'm going to my... New Zealand Dictionary. Keep your fingers off your keyboards. Do not look up the words that I'm about to give you. Okay. okay. And, uh, Rob, the first word is it is going to go to you. <laughs> um, and it is kind of relevant to last week's uh, episode. I picked words here that okay. I think are relevant. Yes. Um, and the word is Barney. Uh, we would say Barney in, in New Zealand. That was a bit of a, you know, we'd say Barney. So, and the word is spelled B-A-R, as you say in America, N-E-Y. What is Barney hmm. in New Zealand? Okay. It's not a purple dinosaur, right? Darn it. No. No. Uh, it's a small B. Small B. Okay. Can you use it in a sentence? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Savage Crew finished the team challenge and... Well, I'm going to say it too. Uh, and there was a Barney. Oh, a fight. Yeah, I kind of gave it away with the... Oh, interesting. Word, yeah, so a Barney, just so you know, a rowdy argument or dispute, a yeah. quarrel, a fight, especially in the phase uh, to have a Barney, have a bit of a Barney. Have a bit oh, of you a would Barney. Say, oh, yeah. Yes, Savage Crew, definitely... Had a bit of a barn. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why the purple dinosaur was named the way that he is, because he's the exact opposite of that. Yeah, he's he's purple from being <laughs> anyway being in a barn. Okay, and then, <laughs> this is also a good tough as nails word, and this one's going to go to you, Jess. Uh, the word is a battler. What is a what does uh, the word battler mean? So, what part of speech is that? Uh, does I don't know. If is that a noun? Mm, yes. What's that, Lou? I haven't got to that one yet. <laughs> so once, you're, once a producer, always a producer. I'm mm. like yelling out what word I meant to be saying. Okay, we need we need her in here next time. Yes. Next week, next week, Louise is coming on. Yeah, you guys are just just go with your gut instinct. What do you think battler means? It's not one who battles. Yes. Oh, so it, a battler would be someone who gets in a Barney. Yes, a battler would get into a Barney. So a battler is someone who struggles and fights against the odds. Oh, an underdog. He'll a real battler in all aspects of life, never giving up. He was broke, but he came back. He was a real battler. Mm. All right. And then, Mike, for you, it's actually a New Zealand uh, phrase that I'm going to give you. Oh, okay. Uh, and, um, it is rattle your dads, <laughs> rattle, rattle your dad. No, your dags. rattle your dags. D A G S rattle your dags. 
Okay, well, this this makes sense because as we know, back in the days, uh, New Zealanders always walked around with daggers in their pockets in, in <laughs> old times to always start battles or barneys, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so when someone really got you shaken, you felt threatened, really rattled your dags, like, oh, my daggers feel is rattling on my hip. I'm ready to pull it out and take action. I, you're a very creative guy, Mike, but rattle your, <laughs> rattle your dags refers to the accumulation of uh, waste that uh, gathers at the back of a sheep uh, in the wool. Oh, boy. And, so I'm, I'm glad you saved that one for me. <laughs> yes. Full bloom. And so when a when a sheep runs very quickly with the dags <laughs> hanging from the back of their uh, yes. back area, there's a jangling, a jingling, jangling of their dags, and mm. it makes a kind of a uh, like a uh, not a Christmassy sh- sound, but it does sound like little bells. You know, it's like, and so <laughs> what are you giving your sheep? <laughs> <laughs> just eat beautiful New Zealand grass, but so. When sheep are running really fast, the dags are rattling very fast. And so if you're asking someone to, to get a hurry up, you know, make, make them go faster, you say, come on, Mike, rattle your dags. Ah, oh, gotcha. Go come on, pick it up, pick it up. So we could say about Savage Crew, come on, guys, you got to rattle your dags. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to use that with my son. That might replace pie pie in terms of my, my mm. guidance <laughs> to my family. <laughs> Who says reality TV isn't educational? Yeah. yeah. So see how much you've learned. So uh, we'll we'll do New Zealand words and phrases next week as well. Yes. So, okay. No yeah. stu- no cheating and trying to study this week, guys. Yeah. Okay. No studying. All right. Don't All right. Like that. Uh, I have to go now. No, Phil, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you're too so kind amazing. with your time. Thank you so much, Phil. I must rattle my dags. I am a battler. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Why did, don't get it in a Barney. <laughs> and, and I promise not to get it in a Barney with my team. All right. Okay. Thank you, Until Phil. We meet again. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Bye, All Phil. Right. The host of Tough as Nails, Phil Kogan. Wow. Bringing terminology as well. All right, so uh, let, let's just uh, talk about any other thoughts that we had uh, from the episode. We didn't get to talk about uh, this, but my favorite part of the episode was uh, we talked a lot about the scene in the van where Tara was talking about how she feels invisible, and I just loved all of the reactions to Tara with mm. the, you know, yeah, from some people that were just like, "Oh, come on." To um, Michelle uh, just being like, no, we love you. Yeah, Michelle really has like a a T-bird mentality when she's pumped up of just yelling at the top of her lungs like, no, we love you. (laughs) I was kind of feeling Candace Cody to Billy Garcia in that moment. Uh, I found found a new love here, Phil. Her name is Michelle. (laughs) But my favorite reaction was uh, Lynette, uh, who was Mm -hmm. just totally over it. Like, uh, oh, uh, you want me to feel bad for you. You you are still I'm out of the competition. Like uh sorry you feel invisible on the team. But Lee, you're an individual tomorrow. Good luck on that. I'm out. Yeah. Well that's the thing as well. Is, and now I I don't know what the dynamic will be next week because Lynette up to this point was the only person on her team mm-hmm. who wasn't participating in the individual. So it'd be understandable why she was frustrated that it seemed like everyone else had their minds on the next day, whereas like she essentially is done for the week and now Tara is joining her but yeah it was a weird conversation where essentially it was just sort of butting heads of Tara saying you guys don't believe in me and then 
five other people saying, no, you don't believe in yourself. And it was just a, a big yeah, misunderstanding. Where's Butch? Tie <laughs> up that banner on the Savage Crew banner burned down. Yeah, yeah. For, forget the badge of honor. But tack a banner on there. Um, just when Murph was cheering on Tara, did you feel like that he was uh, being uh, kind of patronizing about how, like, oh, I just have to root for her because uh, that, you know, I, I don't want her to think that we don't care about her. It did initially feel a little bit like that, but I think... I think as Phil points out, I think it was Murph responding to what he thought was needed in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe, yeah, at first it was a little misguided. I think he may have had some preconceived notions about what people quote unquote need, but he was responding to that and trying to help her out. Mm -hmm. So I think the intent was there. It doesn't help that Murph, I think, has like resting sarcasm voice. (laughs) <laughs> where like he'll walk over like no don't worry you can do it i believe in, in you and so it's just like uh, okay like i guess murph is just not a very energetic person i think he's just very like cool and calm with who he is which comes from his background but yeah i can imagine if someone's you know i think maybe the effort of walking over maybe overwrote the possible patronizing of him talking to her the fact that he actually like because it seemed like once you're done you sort of just i guess linger around the site until everyone finishes but to have him actually walk over and you know vocally comfort her felt distinctly different from the other challenges yeah um does linda owe louise an apology after last week uh questioning how tough louise is uh then we found out that louise actually did have a was it a broken finger yeah that's the first time i think on i've ever seen someone on a reality show get upset on camera about an injury and then it turns out that they actually were injured yeah yeah, and I think, you know, he still participated, he shoveled, he was still a, he barely um, scrapped his way out of the bottom at the, in the individual, individual challenge, but he was able to. I did notice something on the Toughest Nails social media that uh, yes. Lewis played a game of Two Truths and a Lie that what? I thought was, yeah. Is it a Let video? Me, I, I'm going to send you the link Here, to I'll, it. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up. Is, on, is it on Twitter or Instagram? Here, I'm, I'm just going to send you the, the link right now in our chat. Uh, yeah, so he has a video where he's playing Two Truths and a Lie, first one out style. Okay, all right. Um, so uh, that is not the best way to uh, get it into the show. If uh, you want to just uh, email it to me, uh, okay. I can play it, and then we can see that. But yeah, I felt uh, so bad for for Lewis. These are we- boring lies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Is it, oh, it's text? Yeah. Well, it's oh, subtitled. Play. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's subtitled. So you, we could reenact it. Yes. Like you could give a dramatic reading of it. Okay. All right. Let me see. Uh, let me uh, just get it from Mike, and then uh, if if he's for the podcast listeners, I think they'll appreciate the audio here. Um, but yeah, well, while Rob's looking for that, because yeah. I'm intrigued to find out if this fractured finger storyline is going to become a bigger thing like i don't know how long it takes a fractured fingertip to heal but it sounds like from phil's perspective they're filming back to back to back to back and if it keeps getting aggravated by assumingly using his hands to callous them every challenge uh i don't know if it's going to heal maybe in a quick amount of time to help him in the end yeah that's gotta slow him down Hmm. if not make the injury worse all right here is Let's let's hear from Lewis uh, and his uh, two truths and a lie. And I wonder if we'll get more of these. I am a father of two. I am 35 years old. 
I am afraid. <laughs> I mean, with traditional so, okay. skills like that, all right, all right, let's go, so, up, so, go up against Josh Bigler. I think you two have both uh, gotten to the end, right, Jess? Have you gotten to the end? Uh, so his two tr- his two truths and a lie. The three things are he is uh, he. Uh, what was the first one? He has he's thirty five, and he has it was two, he has two kids. He has two he's thirty five, and he's afraid. And he's afraid. <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he's afraid. I think he's thirty five. I, I bet he has uh, three kids. Oh yeah, that's probably that's the what big I'm thinking. one. That's what I'm thinking. And the lie is being afraid is a lie. Wait, so he is afraid? No, being afraid no. is to lie. He's not afraid. He's not afraid. Oh, okay. I I I think I was going for uh. Okay, so I'm so so. Uh, I got it wrong. He Are threw you, me you know off. how to play the game? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I guess so. I, I should. I, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah, when you when two things are facts and one of them is your feeling, yeah. like one sticks out. All right. Well, we're on a live podcast right now, so it's a little bit of uh, a lot of stuff is going on here. We just talked to Phil. He's talking about uh, rattling your daggers. <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand how we're all very flustered yeah. after Bill yeah. gave us a lecture about sheep excrement. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do love that of like, oh, two truths and a lie. Um, I'm a podcaster. I live on the East Coast, and I'm hungry. Which one's the <laughs> lie? And it's like, mm, I, don't, I feel Jokes like on you. I just ate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That's the lie. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Mike. Anything else from this week's episode? Um, the only other thing is I really do feel like, and maybe we'll get psyched out here and I don't know how this finishes. Like, I don't know if the finale has four people or three people or whatever, but whatever final configuration it is, I'm going to put in a bet here that Murph and Danny are two people in it. I don't know if it ends with two, three, four, whatever, but it seems like we just keep getting this storyline of the two of them saying they're my biggest competition that, and Murph specifically, you know, uh, in inciting some coach honor, iron sharpens iron stuff. Rodbuster sharpen Rodbuster. Of I want to go to the end. I want to beat the best in the end. That you feel like it that has to end with at least the two of them, right? Are you saying he wants to beat the very best, like no one ever was? Exactly. Drywall, drywall, mon. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I have to say I I like this storyline a lot. I wish that the two dominant players with the rivalry going to the final two were not the only two white guys on the show. Mm-hmm. It's such a diverse cast. I really I kind of wish we were not going there yeah but uh just in fairness uh that danny is a shorter white guy and uh murph has a uh beard Beard. all right yeah you're right so it is diverse yeah (laughs) murph is taller yeah yeah so yep, they're two very different people. Not yeah. going to confuse them for each yeah, other. We'll see. I, I do feel like that Danny seems like if I was going to do a, any sort of uh, tough as nails edict, though, I feel like that Danny has uh, the that I feel like Danny the, the inside track. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Think, I think Danny's like CPP. I think like someone like like the OTTP of, but those are like more the you know going down in flames at it. Whereas he's been like a consistent presence. Seems like he's a really good thinker. Like he's the one who's giving the math of how many shovelfuls they'll need. He seems like he has yet to really he was struggle wrong. in a challenge. Well, no, I think he, w- he. I think he was. He was right. I think it was that he felt like they were not taking enough shovelfuls. Like they just did. They well, didn't yeah, I, 
that but I but by that it does mean that they were wrong that it should have been 70 shovelfuls not 65 you can't say that it was that they were just the 65 was the right number they just didn't have <laughs> enough on the shovel if they would have gone by the, the Danny metric I was surprised he stuck yep, to 65 yeah uh when they went back for I don't know if it was uh, for the pea gravel or the rock gravel he was he was like okay 65 everybody yeah that was the same exact number that you got last time that was short. This time it'll work. Don't worry. This these rocks are heavier. <laughs> we got this. What weighs more, a pound of sand or a pound of gravel? I don't know. <laughs> Is it rock gravel it or all, pea gravel? All fits in a four duty truck. Don't you worry. No problem. <laughs> no problem. No problems there. Okay. Uh, just did you have anything else from this episode? Um, no. I thought this was the strongest episode yet. I understand um from a totally unbiased source that it's just going to keep getting stronger from Mm -hmm. here (laughs) yeah okay um well fun stuff with uh phil we're halfway through on tough as nails i did think that that was really a strong episode last night hope everybody here is uh along for the ride in this uh ford pickup enjoying everything and uh we got a theme song now it's very legit yeah, and uh, maybe unlike some other CBS reality shows, we're actually guided in a proper direction. Uh, maybe some other shows are guided by Lewis in that they're sort of directionally confused right now as to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it does feel nice to have a show that, you know, five episodes left, and this is going to... I don't think we've had an amazing race uh, date announced officially, but I can imagine... I would not be surprised if it segues, you know, pretty naturally, if not a couple weeks after, into The Amazing Race 32 as well. So... I've been very happy with what, you know, CBS reality has providing us with since early July as we segue into August here. Mike, do you know what the time slot is going to be for next week? I know you, you touched on that with Phil last week. Is it yeah. uh, Tough as Nails is on after two hours of Big Brother or Tough as Nails and then two hours of Big Brother? It's Tough as Nails and then two hours of Big Brother. Big Brother is going to come on at nine. After that, I'm not so sure because apparently both shows have insisted that they are going to be on Wednesdays at eight. So we'll mm. see who wins in that battle. <laughs> Okay. We'll Who see. wins in that Barney? Yeah, that'll, yeah. that'll be a real Barney uh, for the time slot. I, I, I'd call Tough as Nails the battler in this situation. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Jess, uh, I know you're very busy with the Mole Patrol podcast. Uh, what, what have you got going on right now? Um, well, the other podcast we do um, on reality TV rehap ups with um, Josh Wiggler and RHAP Rookie of the Year, Brooklyn Zed. We're having a fantastic time rewatching a 20-year-old reality series, and Josh Wiggler has never seen it, and that's our hook, and we're having a great time breaking down everything that happens there, and we also have a game segment at the end of that one, too, so I don't know, maybe Phil's listening to it, and he's listening mm-hmm. to the B&B, and he's picking up tits, but mm-hmm. um, it is a fun and game summer on RHAP for me, and both of the shows that I'm doing are an absolute delight. And then over on Primetimer, uh, early next week, you'll be seeing an article from me about Catfish, a show that has been on the air for an improbable nine years. It's still so on? It's still on. I didn't realize. Gonna, I, I thought it started like five years ago. I didn't realize it's been on since that documentary came out. Pretty much nine years. And I'm going to try to dig into what is the enduring appeal of Catfish. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a really interesting rabbit hole to go down. I will tell you that much. And then also unrelated to television, but I know we have a number of our listeners who play on in the online trivia league called Learned League. And I have a one day special dropping on Learned League on Saturday um, on the topic of women's colleges. So 
it's kind of a general knowledge thing. I think even if you aren't immersed in that knowledge like I am, I think you'll still have a fun time playing it. It's all questions about women's colleges? Mm-hmm. Hi. Yep. It's good stuff. All right. All right. Uh, and where do people go to get that? To learnedleague.com? Yep. Learnedleague.com. And um, you should be, I think everybody that this applies to knows how to get there already. Okay. But uh, also, if anybody is interested in playing in this online trivia league, it's about $25 a year to play. And I have referral codes. So just get at me on Twitter. Okay. But you don't realize, Rob, is that two of those plugs were truths and one of them is a lie. Whoa. <laughs> it's up to you to figure it out. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I definitely know Mole Patrol is real. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, All Catfish right. hasn't been on the yeah, air. Yeah, Catfish hasn't that's, been on the air. That's God, that's a lie. That's <laughs> oh, you got lie. me. Yes, you catfished us. Okay. All right. Uh, Mike Bloom, what's up for you? Well, I've been rattling my dags in everyone's ears for the past few weeks. Don't do that. Uh, like a Ukrainian bell <laughs> choir with all the with all the the stuff we've been putting out there. As always, Josh Wrigler and I are doing down the hatch uh, beyond Top Chef. We're talking miscellaneous food topics, and then of course on the B and B, we're joining you, Rob and Josh, going through Survivor history uh, this week upcoming. We actually had a fantastic guest on this past week who you also had rob for uh, big brother proper chantel francis on for the bnb great new voice in rhap and then this week we're we're writing a love letter to uh, the merge episode of survivor heroes versus villains so that's going to be a lot of fun and with big brother just around the corner there might be a, a couple of other little random big brother based podcast surprises that are dropping along the way so yeah we are we're sort of revving our engines on on a couple of different shows at once but we can take the haul we're ready to start hauling some more reality content in. All right. Very fun. I've been uh, very busy all week with Karen Armstrong going through all of the hypothetical names that are floating out there for the Big Brother All-Stars cast. We've been doing uh, previews uh, with uh, our current podcasters, members of the RHAP class of 2020, going through every single name that's hypothetically out there for a preview for a season. That has no cast announced, but that's 2020 and that's what we do. So uh, be sure to check that out. That, that's been uh, very fun to get to do uh, this week. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, uh, check out everything else we have going on in our Rob Has a Podcast Patreon. Of course, uh, you get access to our Rob Has a Podcast Patreon community and all the extra podcasts that we put out on our patron podcast feed that's all at robinswebsite.com slash patron thank you so much for listening take care everybody have a good one bye